0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. It's a joy to get to be hanging out with you all today and and sharing the message. My name is Matt. I'm a 2009 graduate uh, from the Good Seminary, right? Uh, And I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I know right now some of you are thinking, wait a second, I read the bio, I listened to the first reading, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and you saw that clench word in there church planter and you're like if this isn't going to be a cliche message I don't know what is (laughs) some of you are sitting here thinking I'm mad that I skipped Caldi today because I could be sipping a latte and talking theology because I had ham one I know exactly what your message is all about here's the goal pastor here's the goal God loves the lost or maybe maybe this is your goal God pursues the lost with everything. I like that word, pursue. It's powerful. Or maybe, Maybe you're going to get really crazy. You're going to put them together. And so right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out my My phone, Bible, Facebook, fix my fantasy league before Thursday night because, let's face it, if I win some money on FanDuel, I will be a much better tither. And I'm just going to sit here and go, okay. I know what this message is all about. And I get it. That, that is a, a very important point of the message. Uh, but I was recently sitting in, uh, in our pastoral conference, and we had the pleasure of having Dr. Kloa come out and share 1 Corinthians. And, you know, he reminded us of a very important point. Scripture is in a context. In fact, when you're reading parables, it's not just important to hear the story of the parable, but to remember the audience that Jesus is talking to. So let's just take one second and let's, let's think one more time about this audience. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. What does that mean? It means it means the irreligious. It means the people you would never expect to be in church are, are drawing close to Jesus, the religious teacher, the person that's talking about God. So the very last people you would expect to be in church are now drawing near. But who's already there? The people you would expect, the religious people, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and they're all drawing near, and they're doing the good Lutheran thing. They're walking in and saying, what's the tax collector doing in my seat? And they're grumbling. And at this point, Jesus stops and he says, I think I need to tell you a story so you understand my heart. And this is the powerful thing. If you're the one... If you're the tax collector, if you're the Pharisee, if you're told your entire life that God wants nothing to do with you, and all of a sudden, here's Jesus, and he's looking at you saying, no, 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 quite the opposite. I love you. I want to die for you. It's a powerful story. It's something that, that just wells my heart up with joy every time I hear it. I, I think of Cricket. She's, she's about 55 years old. You never share a woman's age, but you all won't tell her. And... She walks up to me one day after a sermon that we're doing with tears in her eyes, and she said, Pastor, for 50 years people told me I was going to hell. And I said, well, if I'm going to hell, then why would I go to church? And then I came here, and I found out God loves me. So do I enjoy the one? Do I want to preach about the one? Absolutely. But a bigger question hit me recently. What's Jesus trying to say to the 99, to the person that's been in church their entire life? What's he saying to them? And when I started thinking about that question and I started looking at the exaggerated points in the parable, it really hit me. See, every parable that Jesus preaches, it's got this one foot in truth, but then it's got this other foot that's in just a complete exaggeration. And if you're in the time, you're in the context, you see the exaggeration. Now I'm not a shepherd, so, so I didn't realize it, but when I stop to think about this, you start to see a series of little exaggerations that could be true, but if you put them all together they just don't make sense. See you've got a shepherd and he's got like a hundred sheep, right? Which is not easy to keep track of. If you had like five, you could sit there and look at your newsfeed and look up and go, wait a second, I think we're missing one. <laughs> but But if you have a hundred sheep sitting in the room, you're sitting there counting and they're not getting in a line to make it easy. They're, They're moving around and so you're counting and you're going, I keep getting 99, what's going on? And so finally you realize, wait, one of them's gone. Now how many shepherds are here in the story? One shepherd, which means this, he's probably not leaving the 99 sheep to go after the one. Okay, can you imagine going back to your boss in that scenario? Let's just say he does. He leaves the 99, he goes after the one, right? Five more sheep leave, 10 sheep leave, or maybe somebody walks up and goes, 99 free sheep? It's my lucky day. You don't want to show up to your boss and go, I have good news and I have bad news. Good news, the one sheep that got away, I got him. Bad news, we're missing 99. But let's just say, for sake of the story, he goes after the 99. He's not gonna truck the rocky terrain and then pick up a 50 to 100 pound animal that is obviously capable of walking and then put it on his shoulder and walk back in the rocky terrain, rejoicing the entire way. you know, I went hiking with my family, two little kids, and at one point I had to carry them both. I was not rejoicing to have 50 extra pounds up the mountain. But the clincher is this, even if he leaves the sheep, even if he rejoices all the way back, he is not throwing a party when he gets back. What, what kind of party are you throwing? Hey guys, let's celebrate, I'm bad at my job. It just doesn't make sense. And you know what? As church, as people that have been in church probably most of our lives, we wish this was a true-to-life story. We wish that this was a story of a shepherd that said, I've got 99 sheep, so I'm just going to stay here with these 99 so we don't lose more. We've lost one so far, but people, that's just the cost of doing business. I'm going to get these sheep back to where they need to be safely, and then I'll go after the one when they're back when they need to be, because I need to be here to make sure these sheep are okay. See, we want the story to say that, and we've got all kinds of ways of saying it. We're taught that when we show up to a church, don't change too many things too quickly because you'll upset the 99 sheep. We've got got practical ways of talking about it in which we say, well, this is just a cradle-to-grave ministry, and and I'm just going to make sure that these 99 sheep make it from the cradle to the grave knowing Jesus. But then we've also got theological ways of saying it. We look and we say, well, yeah, you're an evangelistic ministry, but we're just discipleship-focused. And what you hear Jesus say is this, there is no discipleship without evangelism. And you can tell yourself you're a disciple if you don't care about the lost, but the reality is if you don't care about the lost, you don't have the heart of God and you're not a disciple. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a Billy Graham or a street preacher or even a church planter, but you need to be a person that always wants to make room for the one. Because the point of Jesus' story is that God does not care about your comfort. He cares about being a kingdom that always makes room for the one. And that's a powerful thing if you've been in church your whole life. Because what we forget is that at one point, we were the one. We were the one that Jesus went after. We were the one that Jesus went into the world and lived for and died for. We were the one. See, there's this line in the parable that always, it always bothered me. It's in verse 7. It says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I started asking myself the question, wait a second, is Jesus saying that there are some people that need no repentance, Th- that are just that good? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, no. If Jesus was saying that, I don't see him leaving his throne in heaven, coming down to earth and sacrificing his comfort for our life. No, what Jesus is saying is more in line with what you hear Paul talk about, which is no one is righteous, no not one all have sinned all fall short see i think about that group of people that jesus is talking to and there's a group that realizes they're the one because they're reminded and there's a group that thinks they're not or forgets that they once were and what we need to remember is that it's a beautiful thing that god always makes room for one more in the kingdom because that's the reality that brought us here today You know, some of you are here because a church decided to start a school. And that school reached your family who wasn't in church. And then all of a sudden they started saying, well, my kid knows a lot more about the Bible than I do. Let's go to church. And all of a sudden it changed their life. And now you're sitting here studying for the ministry, praying that on call day you get a church with a school because it changed your life. Some of you are thinking about the DCE that came out and 180'd your life. And if you'd have gone on a different course, you would be in an entirely different place right now. But now you're here studying to be a pastor, even though all your friends on Facebook go, really, he's gonna be a pastor? But some of you are still sitting here going, no pastor, I have been in this place since I was born. I was born on the altar. And if you think about that image too much, it will disturb you. And to you, I would ask this question. Have you ever sat next to a crying infant in church with the mom that is sitting there going, it just won't be quiet, I don't know what's going on, I'm at my wit's end? And you're saying, yeah, pastor, but then the old lady leaned over and she said, that is a joyful noise. Y'all, I spent seven hours in a car with a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. There is never a joyful noise in that car. It drills into your soul. What that old lady was saying is, yes, it's awful. No, I can't hear the message. Yes, I'm turning down my hearing aid. But I am so glad that child is here. Because they're going to grow up hearing the gospel that changed my life. And that means this is a church that's going to change theirs. Because there's always room for one more. He has my challenge to you today is this. To realize, even if you've been in church your entire life, God calls us to be a church where there is always room for one more. So how can you be the person that makes room for one more at your field work, at your first call, or right here at the seminary? Because what I learned when I was here is this. If I walk about one block that way, and I sit down, and I study something as obscure as Walther's Law Gospel, I'll actually be sitting next to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And what I found was even when I'm reading law and gospel, I can have a conversation with somebody that who knows, maybe it changes their life. How can we be a church that makes room for one more the same way that Jesus called his church to make room for one more so that we could be here today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you would allow us to be in this place, that you would fill us with your grace. God, that you would be willing to leave your comfort for our salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with that beautiful reality and that that heart would set us free, Lord, to reach out to people that don't know you, the one. It's in your name, it's by your strength we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.